Empire. As we hopefully exit a pandemic, growth is to be expected. The, the typical way that business gets done is, is who you know. Um, and, you know, if we could create a new girls club, which huh. I'm calling this group, where, you know, we're going to do more business together. We're going to support one another. We're going to, you know, hopefully utilize each other, whether it's personal or professional. That's Angela Ruggiero, CEO of the Sports Innovation Lab, where opportunity is an operative word. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Angela Ruggiero is a decorated Olympian who has turned her attention to tech innovation. And where our conversation today began, opportunity. She is hoping that her success is bridging the gap for current and future female executives in sports. Our guest this week is Angela Ruggiero, who is a four-time Olympian and the CEO and co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab and a repeat guest here on Future Sport. It's really great to catch up with you again, Angela. How are you? I'm great. I always love to be here. Thanks for having me back. I love talking about Future Sport at Sports Innovation Lab. So, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. You got a, a couple of major initiatives that have been launched here, which is why we wanted to catch up with you specifically. Um, you guys launched a data-driven women's leadership board, which has a number of major executives across the realm of sports. Um, can you kind of take me through what it is and why you're doing it? Yeah, we've been uh, in the market with our leadership boards for the past three years, um, which are essentially corporate executive boards. You get um, executives across the sports media and tech space uh, to meet periodically. Uh, we curate the research and really help them uh, see what's going on in, 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 in the sports arena. Um, but they also get an opportunity to network with one another uh, and and do business. Um, and I thought it was time, given you know everything that I represent and what I, where I think the industry wants to head is is doing more to support women at the top. So our women's leadership board, which we we officially kicked off this month, um, includes women like the CMO of. Visa, Lynn Bigger, uh, the CMO of uh, NHL, Heidi Browning, the EVP of digital media, Melissa Brenner at the NBA. You've got um, the CEO of a really interesting company called Clear, uh, uh, Karen Becker, um, Steph McMahon, the chief brand officer of WWE. I listen, go on and on. Pete Johnson, director of sport at Google. We, we assembled women that represented the ecosystem because um, we know uh, – and do well in this, you know, to, to understand the technologies, to understand the, the properties, um, the media, the whole ecosystem. And, and um, if we could be the focal point to talk about innovation, to talk about data, to really help all these women um, better understand what's happening in the space, but allow them to have the platform to network, to do business, to teach one another, to teach us about what they're seeing in their uh, at their at their level with their given company, it's a win win for everyone. So uh, I'm incredibly proud of this initiative, uh, and and hopefully we'll be able to deliver a lot of value to the women um, that uh, that are already crushing it. 
um, and give them a little more juice to their everyday roles. So I, I want to get into the tech and, and the networking part of it for a moment. But it, part of this was, as you mentioned, almost a support system. Um, clearly, things have changed here in the marketplace where access for women to these types of positions have, have changed over the years. Um, when you say that there is a kind of a need of, of a support system, um, could you kind of elaborate a little bit on on what you see in the marketplace that helps these executives thrive? Yeah, uh, again, our other leadership board model, we sit in the middle of the market um, at Sports Innovation Lab. We, we support the properties, the brands, the media, the tech, the, the investors. Um, when you're in that room and you can hear from a diverse set of viewpoints and products and solutions and needs, um, you're more easily to connect and do business. And um, so that in and of itself is the value of the network that we've assembled, the, the unique perspectives of these women. Um, but on top of that, I just felt, you know, we always talk about the old boys club and yeah. how, you know, unfortunately a lot of the, the typical way that business gets done is, is who you know. Um, and, you know, if we could create a new girls club, as huh. I'm calling this group, where, you know, we're going to do more business together. We're going to support one another. We're going to, you know, hopefully utilize each other, whether it's personal or professional. And uh, there aren't very many women that have um, reached the top of the pinnacle of, of sport and our CEOs uh, or leading major initiatives at, at technology companies. So these women all have that unique position um, and there aren't a lot of them. Uh, so if, again, I can create that, that club, if you will, for these women to network with each other um, and, and support one another, both professionally and um, and ultimately, you know, driving more revenue to their organizations. That's really a big mission of mine. Um, let's talk about some of those discussions then with, with all of these groups, male and female for that matter. Um, doors are opening back up again um, in sports leagues. Fans are coming back quicker in some jurisdictions than others, uh, but it's happening uh, as vaccinations roll out. As you kind of view 2021 in sports, what are some of the executives talking about as they start to welcome people back into their venues? Well, I think it's twofold. If you're talking about the fan that's going to physically be in your venue, um, there's a lot of talk around making sure it's a it's a more seamless experience. It's certainly a safe environment that uh, that if you're you're you know we're dying, I'm dying to be back in a venue and being around that energy of other people and seeing sports live. So to ensure that um, that fans have that seamless, safe, uh, uh, differentiated experience, they they're they're chomping at the bit. But let's make sure uh, if if there are COVID protocols in place or new you know increased safety measures, um, or sports betting, you know a big big hot topic we're all aware of. Yeah. Uh, do, do these venues have the infrastructure to support initiatives like sports betting or? Um, you know, various digital, um, integrations. Uh, there's a, there's a higher bar, I think for fans now, especially because look, they've been at home. They've been, you know, they're digitally savvy. If they didn't have time before they have time now to figure out what's going on. We call those our fluid fans. And so for the fans that don't ever want to go back an arena, and I think there will be some, or the ones that just can't afford, but love that lean back, um, or lean in experience at home, uh, we hear a lot of talk about the different partnerships to create those those at-home digital experiences. So digital transformation, I think, is a key um, a key takeaway from from COVID. 
most sports organizations uh, realize they have to do more to service their fan at home. So we certainly see that. Um, think Top Shot, and just a recent example. Yeah. Dapper Labs, where you can trade digital trading cards as opposed to the physical analog. Um, there's a lot of these enhanced digital experiences that fans are going to want at home. Um, but then, you know, you really need to be able to take that into the venue because there's nothing like being live. Uh, and, and you have those same opportunities in the digital transformation space uh, within your venue for your for your fans. I'm glad you brought up Top Shot and the collectible and NFT market because I am curious on your perspective on this as you monitor all of this. Were you caught by surprise at how big the market got as quickly as it did? I wasn't actually. Um, I'm I'm shocked at the dollar value to be honest, but <laughs> but I'm not shocked at the idea that you could use blockchain to um, you know, leverage digital collectible assets that, you know, this talk technology has been out there. Um, and now, again, finding the capabilities and the use cases in sports, it's not surprising. I know, you know, uh, Panini's, uh, someone we work with, they've been talking about it for a while and, and doing a lot in the space. So there's the market, um, again, the fluid fan, which we've been studying at Sports Innovation Lab, the growth engine to the industry is not your diehard. It's your fluid fan. It's yeah. this digitally savvy consumer, typically younger, but not necessarily, it's not age dependent or demographic dependent. It's, it's this fan that's um, open to choose um, different experiences. They're empowered to do more because of the technology. Um, and they, they want more from us. They demand more from us. So Top Shot is an example of that. You, you have these digitally savvy, younger, typically fluid fan consumers, you give them something like digital collectibles, they're going to be all over it. So I just didn't realize the market was, you know, I think it was 200 K for a LeBron highlight. Yeah. Um, it just blew my mind. So, you know, I might go put some money against it myself, but, uh, <laughs> but the, but the market's there, I guess is the point the, the appetite is there for, for new experiences like this. I mean, I got to tell you, you know, as um, obviously you played hockey all those years and I'm a, I'm a big hockey fan myself. And I look at certain sports, I look at the NBA and I go, wow, they're, they're monetizing these moments. And most of them are relatively not that they're not amazing, but run of the mill, but you could see these every single night. And in a sport like hockey, every goal is kind of different. And in the NFL, every touchdown is kind of different. They're not replicable. What's the market there if it has even more originality attached to it? Yeah, and, and I can imagine that, uh, you know, flooding over to, to uh, experiences of the athletes outside of the ice or the court and uh, tons of moments that you'd want to capture in a, in a collectible card. Uh, but we know, you know, a lot of our research also stems around athlete-driven media and the, the, the shift of power to the athlete creating content, being the brand now that, that, that food fans follow the athlete over the, the team of the league, um, I can envision a, a future where, you know, we're trading those experiences, you know, not LeBron's layup or dunk, but, you know, LeBron hanging out with his buddies yeah. and uh, LeBron, you know, making a speech. I mean, any whatever whatever the case may be, we want to capture and understand and, and be close to the influencer uh, more than ever. So, yeah, I think there's definitely more of a market, to your point, cool highlights, different sports, unique you know, angles, um, but then flooding over into the, the, the 
entertainer themselves. Um, I'm sure someone would love to say they own LeBron's, you know, backyard barbecue collectible. <laughs> probably. <laughs> they probably, there's somebody out there for that. I, I see a, you there's know. Someone, I, there's someone <laughs> that will care more about that than any dunk to make. There's uh, a lot of fans out there that will, that are cord nevers. They don't watch the NBA, but they're, they know what these guys are wearing. They know what the WMB players are talking about. They're, they're fans of the person. Yeah. Um, and the NBA gets that. I think they're, they're really trying to, uh, you know, go to the, where their fans are. Um, and they may never watch a game. They may just watch highlights. So you're in the center of all this. Um, and, and we're witnessing this kind of transition to, as you call them, fluid fans and modern fans and what they want and how they connect to sports. And I've been trying to wrap my head around NFT markets, an interesting one to kind of look at where these moments exploded this way. And you're trying to figure out how did they get valued like that? Why are they being valued like that? And as I grew up as a sports fan, it were moments in time that connected me to the sport. Miracle on ice, great play of my favorite teams in championship years that I remember and we kind of share. And it feels like we're in a different space here now where sports tries to aggregate those moments, but it's hard to get kind of everybody into the same space, watching it at the same time, like we used to have. So how do you kind of view connectivity to the new generation of fans when it is clearly very different how teams and leagues are going to interact with them. Yeah, you, you teed this up well. I mean, I'm an, a four-time Olympian, um, and I remember, you know, even a decade ago, we all huddled around the TV for the opening ceremonies or that big game, uh, you know, the gold medal. Um, families did that. That's why NBC uh, pays such enormous rights. You get that, you get eyeballs. So that's the age of the global fan, and that's, we're, we're, we're coming out of the age of the global fan where it's just about eyeballs. It's the fluid fan now, and that's about experiences. So I don't know if there will ever be a time where we'll all huddle around at the same moment, but you can, in aggregate, actually get more eyeballs if you're going to where these fluid fans are. They're, they're definitely going to be on TV because some people are going to love the 4K and the 8K experience and sitting on their couch at home. But there's increasingly fans that are going to watch on their over-the-top, you know, their their subscription services, their social media services. Um, they're going to be following uh, sports through video games, um, through highlights. So it's it's a really hard question to answer because, you know, the future of sport, in my opinion, is around that personalization. Not everyone wants to watch it on linear um, at the same moment. Uh, they may not want to watch the whole game and they may say, I just want to watch the last 10 minutes or um, I don't care about the sports that are on TV. I care about these niche sports. Well, I can find them now online. I can find them on Twitch. I can find them on whistle. I can find them on overtime. There's other ways and other platforms now. So um, I don't think sports will ever, ever lose its relevancy. I think sports will forever be, a hallmark of society. It's such a big piece of who we are. But I do worry that if we don't um, provide our fans with the right experiences where they are, especially the younger fans, they won't have the same um, access and inspiration and interest as they grow older, whether that's playing sports, whether that's, you know, consuming sports. I think we just have to do more 
and, uh, and, and to continue to attract and retain um, our, our customer, our, our fan. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, COVID, I think, exposed a lot in our vulnerability as an industry. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it also provides a lot of opportunity to, to change and to, and to do more. And you certainly look outside of the walls of sports. The entertainment industry, you know, with Shook, music, uh, live entertainment, and they all have to do the same thing and that's you right. to reshift how they're doing things. So uh, I don't know if that's an easy answer, but I think uh, we'll still be, sports will always be here. It's it's part of, you know, ingrained in human culture, um, but we just have to do more to think through. It's not just selling a ticket or expecting our fans to be here. You're diehard. Uh, there's, there are fewer and fewer diehards um, growing up. Uh, they're really, again, we call them fluid fans. They're they're there for the taking. They're there. They're there. They'll be inspired and have those moments. Uh, but they may not ever own a TV, as an example. <laughs> you got to figure out how to reach them. Yeah, and I think maybe at the heart of it, for someone like me, because I've I've worked in this industry because I love sports. Um, and and you obviously were a high level athlete, and you love sports, and you played at the the highest level. It means something to you. So I guess I'm getting to the word matter. Like, how do you make this matter? to the next generation of people in the same way, even if it's communicated differently in the same way that it mattered to me and you and millions of other people around the globe. Well, I think one issue, you know, we tackle a lot or talk a lot is just like player safety and the safety of the sport, making sure that parents are signing their children up. I think making sure sports are truly diverse and inclusive. Um, There's certainly, you know, as, as a young female, playing ice hockey, I was, you know, called names and told I shouldn't be out on the ice. Can we create a more inclusive environment so that we get more kids signed up, whether whatever they look like, their age, their race, their gender, et cetera. So making sure we really have accessibility. Can we afford sports? I think at the youth level, and, you, you know, there's a uh, PEs is, I think, in the U.S. at least, um, physical education is being cut left and right. Uh, you know, in the rest of the world, you have government funding to ensure that the kids are playing. Um, and then you think you take that to the professional level. If you don't have, you, you mentioned miracle on ice. If you don't have that, that moment as a kid where you looked up and you were inspired um, again, you're le- I think you're less likely to want to play sports, attend sports, just be in this ecosystem. And um, you know, it's part of the reason I'm so passionate about getting more women's sports on TV because we should all be able to see a version of ourselves uh, on TV and not just, well, that includes Paralympic sports. That includes, um, you know, all sports for that matter. So, you know, for, it's a hard question to boil that in like two yeah. minutes, but I think just being open to what we need to do to evolve sport holistically. And then on the commercial side, understanding we can't do business the same ways that you can't just rely on, you know, your gate revenue and your broadcast revenue and your sponsorship revenue. You really have to think outside of the box because that is all connected to, you know, digital distribution and being able to truly reach those future fans who will then be a part of that ecosystem and sign up, you know, their kids when they're younger. So, uh, you know, I want, just like you want sports to flourish, but I know part of it uh, is, is incumbent on the industry to recognize we really have to, to, to do more uh, to ensure our 
longevity. Yeah, I just my concern is I, I it like seems to be trending towards so transactional, and that's never what yeah. it was to me. It was never. I mean, obviously, I bought tickets, I watched their programs, I bought their merchandise. Mm-hmm. But there was a reason why I did that, you know, and it meant a lot more to me than just being a transaction. And I, you know, I, I get it. We're in a modern time and it's a very different time, but I'm wondering if we are going to stay in that space where sports matter in the same way. But I think to that, Sam, you're right. It is, it does feel more transactional today. I think there's just a lot more commercial opportunity. So the, the more savvy uh, sports teams and leagues understand they can grab the attention of that fan more easily there isn't the same diehard generational i'm going to pass my tickets down from generation to generation but one one theme that we've studied a lot at sports innovation lab is that these new fans these food fans follow values so i wouldn't undermine um that as an opportunity for the industry that um you might follow a brand because a team because they're the most eco-friendly brand in the world they recycle everything they're a green team you might follow the Olympic movement. We, you know, I was eight years on the IOC at the Olympics. Um, we called ourselves the movement. We still do because the brand, the rings represented more than sport. That's why sponsors are, are, are so attracted and media is so attracted to that, um, that sports property. So this idea that these new fans and you see it, you probably in your own everyday life, like you may stop buying certain, uh, detergents because they're not, you know, good for the environment or they're, you, you realize their leadership isn't diverse or, you know, consumers are voting with their wallets now. And you, you see the same thing carrying over into sports that we really have to do more. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, this summer is an example, the WNBA and the NBA with Black Lives Matter here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. It may have turned away a few fans, but I think it certainly did a lot um, for the long term for the sport in terms of attracting more fans that they're going to be more likely to align to that brand. Um, so it is transactional. I, I hear you. It feels, it, but there's more competition out there, I guess is the point yep. uh, within sports and with entertainment at large. Uh, but I do think within that, if you can really own your brand, understand your brand. And I think the right fan, the right consumer will be attracted to, to what you're going to offer. Okay, so I'll let you go with this since we're talking about the fans themselves. You did launch the Fan Project, which probably tackles some of these things and obviously many, many other aspects of being a fan. Um, What are you learning through the Fan Project? So the Fan Project, if anyone hasn't heard of it, uh, go to thefanproject.co. What we're trying to do is um, I believe there's a massive pent-up demand for for women's sports. You know, we study the whole uh, sports landscape and look at the market. We're a market research company at our core. That's what we do. Um, and I think, you know, Angela, the, the hockey player, probably would say, oh, there's sports, women's sports. Um, I don't think we're going to get there quick enough in terms of investing in women's sports. And so I'm taking a commercial approach to this um, through the fan project and with partners like WWE, UFC, the WNBA, um, the National Women's Soccer League, et cetera, we set out on a mission to um, actually measure fandom in a completely new way. So currently the system is you, you look at linear, you look at reach, you look at Nielsen ratings, and that is the indicator of interest. If you get a lot of eyeballs, of course, people want to put more money against that sport. 
I believe, and through our research, that fandom comes in a variety of behaviors. It could be watching, but it could also be buying a jersey. It could also mean sort of spending money. It could also mean activity on social media and other digital platforms. So if we can aggregate all of those and measure fandom in a new way, I believe we can build uh, a, a business case uh, for women's sports. And so we're going to put up a release, a report later this summer that essentially helps uh, through fan data. So we're asking fans to literally go onto our website, you get a free t-shirt, thefanproject.co, give us your social media data. You can do good with that data. We're going to analyze that data. We're going to look at in an anonymized way what fans are doing and then also look at how fans are watching and produce a report that I believe will be an objective way to look at the opportunity of women's sports in the market. Angela, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Angela Ruggiero is the uh, CEO, co-founder of the Sports Innovation Lab, and of course is a decorated United States Olympian hockey player. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Keep uh, keep talking future sports. I'll keep tuning in. <laughs> On the next Future Sport Podcast, as the doors reopen, there are those trying to make the return to live events safe and efficient. Uh, we're working with our partners at the OP Group and the CAA Icon to create a verification process that allows stadiums and arenas to be able to demonstrate and build confidence for their fans that the stadium arena is ready to visit uh, because they have all the right protocols and steps in place. That's Herman Elger, Executive Vice President of Travel, Entertainment, and Health Security at ShareCare, who is using techniques from other sectors to normalize a return to sporting venues. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused, So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.